Welcome to SelfDiscoveryRadio.com, where the orchard of wisdom is just ready for picking. We celebrate your why, the journey that you've taken that inspires someone else. We support your services. We support your story. Come and be our guest. Become a host. Be an author with us. Come and see what we've got. Our next show is... Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of The Nature of Addictions. I'm your host, Asara Troy, and my guest today is Dave Perigo. Opioids, broken back, and cartwheels, what do they have in common? Well, he broke his back. Somebody said, just go do cartwheels. You'll be fine. And then somebody said, take these opioids. They will help. Well, they did help, but then they developed another problem that problem called addiction. And we know we're hearing in the news today, the opioids, opioids, opioids everywhere. Now we've got to remember, this isn't a street drug. This is a drug that's given by doctors. And the addiction rate of it right now is extremely high and it's become an epidemic. How did Dave get into this? I mean, he was a very productive gentleman, had his own career, everything, broke his back. And then here we go, onto the opioids circle. Did he know? No. You will see actually on his posting this big opioid warning. That wasn't around when he started this and he wished he had known it was. So let's share this story and let's see if we can present someone, uh, prevent someone else from going down this opioid road. And because now he has another solution to his back that's given him back his life. And he wished he'd known about that earlier too. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you, sir. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We had some lovely issues getting this show going, but we're going. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to let tech work for us. So tell us the story of how you broke your back first. Oh, go back to 1997. And I was, uh, again, we were using one of these uh, video uh, conference units like you've got here. The one that we had at the Department of Army weighed about 60, 80 pounds. And as I lifted it off the floor, People around me heard the back go snap, crackle, pop. They knew it wasn't a bowl of Rice Krispies. It was me. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we went through a a number of uh, gyrations with this. I I passed out. I mean, it was a a rough scene. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. One way or the other, I went through a number of what's called IMEs, independent medical exams, as a federal employee. And as such, they put you through a rigorous number of diagnoses and so forth. One diagnosis doesn't count, let's go to the next one, and and so on. And this went on for months and months. One doctor, when I went in for an IME, and this is the man who decides my disability status, he tells me, if I had a back like yours, I'd be out in the parking lot doing car reviews. I scratched my head a while and I said, I may be the biggest liar in the world, but these x-rays don't lie. Maybe we ought to take another look. Right. So it took 20 years, and uh, they had nothing else to offer me but opioids. I kept asking. I think the medical community really needs to pay some attention to what can we do vice yes. opioids. Uh, inherently, people need them, take them, but take them with an exit strategy. Don't take them as a permanent solution. Right. It's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, after 20 years of taking them, I realized that I lost all of my priorities for life, my personality, everything was different. And it ebbed away. It wasn't something that radically was gone. It was something that uh, over a period of time, one day looked like the next. And I never, I never understood. I think there's a tremendous amount of loss that opioid users sustain and they can't see it until they look back on it. 
Well, you never can when you're in the soup, can you? You know, you're there. Yeah, you're just worrying about the pain. The pill takes away the pain. But what it's doing, it's numbing you. It's numbing the pain, but it's numbing you and everything about you as well. So you kind of lose the connection with self, don't you? Well, the problem with me, it did nothing for the pain. Oh, really? It clouded, it clouded my mind uh-huh. so that I couldn't feel it. Right. And I don't think there's any component in opium, opium, excuse me, that, uh, that addresses pain, but it does address the processes of your mind. Right. And uh, I lost it spiritually, I lost physically, I lost emotionally, mm-hmm. and I certainly lost mentally. Mm-hmm. I remember a close friend of mine asked me to figure out the square footage of a bathroom, something that you would typically do, you know, while you're doing something else. Right. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It's something that was second nature to me. I couldn't do it. Right. And further, even worse, I just passed and glossed over the fact that I couldn't do it. Like, wow, it's a bad day, no problem. No. That These wasn't even that a are... warning sign for you at the time that you couldn't do it. Hey, I should be able to do this. What's wrong? It was just a shrug of the shoulder. I can't do it. Well, typically an addict's life, my life, mm-hmm. is completely out of control anyway, so we tend to ignore things like that. Right. And, and I did. Uh, but I remember the incident, and it was uh, symptomatic of a larger problem. So I, I was very, I was most convinced that I was not an addict because I stayed under the legal limit or the prescribed limit. I can't possibly be an addict. I'm right. not taking all this crap they're giving me. Right. You're just, <laughs> well, you're just being medicated by the doctor, following the rules, and doing what you're doing. But the fact that you can't come off something, you know, that you need it, that then becomes the addiction. And we don't realize that. If we can be without it, and we're willing to even look for another solution, we know that we're not a slave to it. But if it is, come see, come start, I'm fine. You know, I don't need to do anything about it. Why worry about it if I can't do the square footage of the bathroom? You know, you, you become kind of almost complacent, don't you? Well, on the one side, you're describing influence. So we've mm. got the influence of the opioids. Which one is the magic pill that makes the jump from influence to addiction? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. And I don't think anybody who takes them really does. So at some point, it becomes an addiction. Now, in my case, I, I was completely justified. I couldn't get out of bed without them. Right. I had a severe back injury and give me a handful of that stuff. You know, I'm ready to go. Never considered the, the possibility or the effects that it was having in terms of addiction. But I had passed influence a long time ago, mm-hmm. by the time I even gave it a thought. So it's been very disruptive. And I've come to the conclusion you can have the pills or you can have a relationship, but you can't have both. Yeah, I mean, the temporary measure when something initially has happened to you, before you can kind of grasp everything, get control, you know, you need those painkillers. Uh, because you obviously your body's being thrown into shock and excruciating pain and you need them. But I think with any painkiller, Um, or any form of drug, we need to look at it as a temporary measure. What else can we do in its place? But if you're stuck on something and it's numbing you, I mean, this is where the addiction is coming through, isn't it? It's not like everybody has a broken back or everybody's in physical pain. It's the numbingness that it does that takes people away from their emotional pain. And that's the reason why we're seeing such an epidemic of it right now. Well, that would be that would hold true for alcohol or any number yes. of other, other yeah. substances. I think opioids uh, are more subtle. Mm-hmm. You don't get the uh, the flamboyant high. You right. simply sustain a less acute form of living. 
mm. you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, across the board. And I did it for 20 years. Uh, I, I begged. I asked every doctor I came in contact with, are there any alternatives to this? And when my surgeon suggested a spine stimulator, I laughed. This little electronic device is going to take away the pain. I said, that's ridiculous. Until I saw it work. Right. There was a gentleman in my front yard and he was putting in cable uh, for cable TV. And uh, he heard me talking with one of my friends about the uh, spine stimulator. He says, hey, have you seen this? And he threw a pair of pliers on the ground and without bending his knees, reached over and picked them up. He said, I've had three back operations. They didn't take. He said, I had one of those spine stimulators put in. I'm happy as, uh, you know, as I can be. And I, I didn't even shake hands with him, thank him, or anything else. I went in the house and called my surgeon. Let's do it right, right. now. I don't know if it'll work or not. I don't care. Put it in. Let's find out. Mm -hmm. So I found a solution to it, but it took me 20 years to do it. Right. It was very costly 20 years. Yes. I, I injured my back at age 42. Those are the highest income you're earning years that yes. you're going to have. I lost them. They're gone. Right. I can't go back and get them. No. So people that get into this, they, they really need to, there's some ripple effects that you really don't realize. Do I feel better today? Probably. I don't know if you're going to feel better tomorrow. I don't know if you're going to say something to your spouse you're going to regret. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're going to let an opportunity go by that you didn't see because you buzzed out. Right. So these are things that I had to, to look at. And as I look back on it, there's a tremendous amount of wreckage in my life. Right. So it's not, if you can find an alternative, take it. Yes. Because for every ounce of fun you get out of it, you're going to pay a pound of problems. Mm -hmm. I know. I did it. Right. And the thing is, people don't realize is that, you know, while you are struggling with the pain and you're taking the opioids and you're not even putting the opioids as the problem, you know, you're, you're disconnecting from the other people around you. Uh, maybe picking arguments or this simply the fact that you don't care or you're not connected or who cares what the square footage is who cares about what your feelings are you know who cares about this and that because you're in a numb state we don't realize you know all those bridges are coming down because people can only take so much for so long and if you're not connecting with them you're going to lose them aren't you you're you're exactly on the right track. There's two flavors of people that I met and that I knew that were fellow back sufferers that were doing pain pills. One of them really didn't care, and they bullied their way through life. Mm -hmm. The other ones cared, and they were insecure about it because they knew that they were only putting a half effort into it, and they right. felt bad every night but didn't have any alternatives. Right. So it's both, and, and you really don't know who you're talking to mm -hmm. when, when these people. Today when I go into a gas station or a 7-Eleven, I'm looking around me and I'm looking at people's eyes. Yes. One user can tell another user. You know? <laughs> yes. I want to know who's back there and who's using. Yeah. And, uh, and the why. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the number of people that I find who are under the influence. And again, it may be addiction. It may be influence. I don't know. And right. I don't care. I want to keep an eye on them. Right. Because they're yes. unpredictable. So. Yes. And, and you know, the, we're all going to go through stuff in life, whatever, whether it's a physical challenge, an emotional challenge, or both. You know, there's the cosmic two by four is going to come along at some point or pull the rug from underneath us. That is life. It, and it tests our strength and our courage and our ability to rise up from it, learn from it, and become something different from it. But when the pills get in the way, or, or any other form of drug gets in the way and numbs you to a point that you don't care about the strength of the courage or tomorrow or anything else. It's actually blocking that growth that you're meant to have into being. So we're denying people them becoming what they're meant to become 
through the experience of their pain um, by just numbing it to a point that they just really don't care. They really just don't care. It's just about surviving today. I've got 20 years of maturity I have to catch up on. Yes. And that's a sentence, isn't it? That's 20 years sentence that you've had of not being interactive or being able to enjoy life the way you should have been. You know, I interact with my contemporaries and they yeah. look at life differently. Right now we've got the Kavanaugh hearing. We've just gone through the Obama years. They see things this way and I see things that way. And, and I know that there's either a maturity or I missed out on the information or whatever it was, but something is different. Yes. But you know, the thing that I found is that those who have recovered, and I'm recovering, I'm, I'm very blessed to be recovering, but those who have, have gone through the process, some of the people that I admire most are those who have gone through it, whether it be alcohol, uh, opioids, uh, heroin, worse. The people who have gone through it and come back, They've got something special to offer. Yes. And I'm really impressed with those people. I've been yeah. fortunate to run around with a number of them. And, and that's uh, the thing. That's, you know, everybody has to step into a meaningful purpose and, and however long it takes. When you do, as you said, you know how to recognize people now. Um, but you also know how to recognize them and those of who you can help. I mean, sure, there's some that are still in their denial. They're just not interested. But there are some that are on that borderline of like, I don't want to be here anymore. And you can relate to them. You can show them another path out, whether it's, you know, this thing in the back or whether it's just another journey. The thing is, is somewhere along the line, they need somebody else who understands what they're going through to kind of turn up the volume and say, wake up, <laughs> wake up. And you can step away from this. And there well, is a life out there. That's a spiritual issue. And you can follow up on it once that spirit has been ignited in somebody. Yes. The people I cannot help are recreational users. Right. I can't do anything for them. Yeah. They, they have a reason, and for whatever that reason may be, to them it's sufficient for what they're doing to their lives. And I've known a number of them who, no, I don't have any physical injuries, I don't have any problems, you know, but here you want to buy some pain pills? No, thank you. Right. And I've known a number of them that, that feel that this is a game. Yeah. And I... I can't convey it. Guys, do you know how much I lost over 20 years? And, then, you know, yeah. have a good day, old man. We don't want to hear it. <laughs> no, so. because, I mean, we're so much, you know, we aren't meant to be present in the now. You know, the now is what we've got. We're meant to be interactive and present in our now. But for so many people, they get stuck in the now of either the fear or the lack of self-confidence, <clears throat> the pain of some trauma. And they don't know how to deal with the now. We cannot escape what we're meant to go through. No matter what it is in life, physical, emotional, whatever it is, we have to go through it. That's the process. And numbing it and, and just saying, oh, I don't want to deal with it now. and just taking something to numb it. Or just numb life because you can't be bothered to interact with it. We can't escape it, can we? Well, it's ironic <laughs> you say that because my experience, and I've gone to Alcoholics Anonymous since then, I, I think the world of it. Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. What they've told me is I'm powerless over some of these things, you know, the things that you just, life's challenges. Mm -hmm. So they, they confess a powerlessness. And I had never heard that before. And, and I, now that I've heard it a number of times, and I've seen it acted out by others who are better than I am at, at what they're doing, I understand a little about what that means. It means you, you quit trying to, to run it, and, and you don't have to be buzzed up. You don't have right. to be distant. You don't have to be numb. 
you can take it whatever comes down your path. And those are the people that I admire the most. Recreational users, I don't understand. And I, I don't know how to convey to them, this will cost you. You're not getting out of this for free. And you know, sooner or later, maybe somehow figure it out, but I have not. Well, every addict that I have interviewed, whether it started off as a, a medical, and there's, there's been a couple others with um, opioids, and you know, some um, it was they were making so much money in fast corporation, fast life. You know, along came the cocaine and the heroin and the everything else, and then the addiction to that, and then all their money going to that, and it was that fast-paced life, and it took for them to bottom out, to literally, you know, um, either in jail again or something to happen. In one case uh, with Ryan, he ended up in jail and there was somebody, he was so bottomed out and there was somebody there with words of wisdom and he was ready to hear them. Now, I'm sure many other people had spoken to him in his time and he wasn't ready. At this point, those words were the right time for him at that right moment. And then he sprung board right back up. And then he stepped into his meaningful purpose because he had the ability to make money and he started a foundation that actually served children of addicts because they get left behind and we're going to see the cycle running, uh, go round again. So for everyone that I've interviewed have found a purpose from their experience that they now have the, the, not only the ability, but the understanding of how to deal with people in addiction and serve them. So the best people to serve them are those that have been through it because you understand what people are going through. We have an area, I live here in the Clearwater, Tampa area in Florida, and we have an area that's over by the, uh, by the Gulf. And there's a lot of homeless that inhabit that area. And I've gone over to talk with them. And you would think that that hitting bottom process, when you have nothing but you know, filthy rags to wear and, and you don't have a home and you're pushing a shopping cart, you would think that that's hitting bottom. And for some of these people, it's not. Yeah. I've talked to people who have gone through a divorce and that was their bottom. I have one guy who's a friend from AA who hates buses because every time he blacked out, somebody put him on a bus and he wound up in some other town in a jail. <laughs> <laughs> now he doesn't like buses. <laughs> and that was not hitting bottom for him. <laughs> right, right. So yes. what, what is bottom? I think it's a spiritual issue. Yes. I think it's an awakening. You know, it's like, what am I doing? Enough is enough. And, and I think you can't help anybody until they're ready to help themselves. But I think you can along the line give them that nudge and that encouragement or to let them know there are these, these tools, these places, these people that can help them. And it kind of gets stored in their memory. So when they are ready, when they have had enough, they at least have got that there to kind of go to. Um, but you, you, you know, it's, you can't help people until they're ready to help themselves. Because when we look at it, life is, is an inside job. It's an inside out job. And addiction is an outside in thing. So when it's, it's I've had enough, I've tried everything on the outside, it's now time to go in. It takes more courage and strength to go in, doesn't it? And live from the inside out than it does the other way. In my case, I just hated what it was doing to me. Right. I didn't have, but I think, I think that you just hit on something. People really don't understand sometimes when they've hit a bottom. Yes. It might be divorce. It might be uh, a physical problem or a compounded physical problem. Yeah. They say, oh, this is even worse. Mm -hmm. But I think pointing that out probably helps people. If they can see it, wait a minute, you could have done this and you didn't, you did that. And, and pointing out this is hitting bottom. Yes. And, and, 
somehow with that message being conveyed, the individual has to muster whatever's inside of them that says, I want something better than this. Right. Which is why the recreational user baffles me. Yeah. I can't understand it. Yeah. You're by choice, you're numbing your mind. But I mean, I suppose it's the same with people. I mean, there's drinking to be social and there's drinking to, to, to be merry, but then there's the drinking to numb and escape. So opioid is just another form of that. You know, it's everything in moderation. Everything has a purpose. Even opioids have a purpose. It's when it becomes uh, um, in place of and because of, you know, then it's, then it's a, uh, it's taken control over you and you've lost the control over it. You've always got to be able to be in control of something to be able to make the choice to say, I can walk away. I don't need another drink. I don't need another opioid. I am looking for something different. And if you get to a point where you can't make that choice anymore because you've tilted the other side to mindlessness, where you've lost yourself altogether, that's pure escapism. Totally agree. Oh, but it doesn't look like that when you're no. under the influence. It no. didn't look like that to me. No. I just wondered where the opportunities, now keep in mind, I was a federal employee and I, I had a diverse, diversity of things that I, tasks that I, I got involved with. I wondered where they were going. They, they weren't here. I wasn't dealing with anything that was meaningful. Right. And I missed that. So yes. for me, that was hitting, that was a form of hitting bottom. Right. And you get enough of those hit bottoms and you say, this has got to stop. But I couldn't get it to stop because medical community could offer me nothing. Right. So that, you know, it's, and a lot of people are like me. I mean, it's not, I, I talked to a guy yesterday. He's been on uh, painkillers since the Vietnam war and he has trouble putting one thought in front of the other. After that. Yeah. At that time, the mind is just bleh, mush. Right? Yeah. 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 And he knows it. Yes. Yes. He doesn't know what to do about it. But no. nonetheless, that's where the medical community steps up. Somebody's going to have a dental problem or an orthopedic problem. They need opioids, and they shouldn't be denied. I think the state of Florida has gone way overboard mm -hmm. uh, from a legal sense in order to, to restrict the supply of opioids. People require them. They need them. Right. Take them, but take them with an exit strategy. But that's, thinking, where, that's where the doctor comes in, though. When a doctor puts you on opioids, they say, this is a temporary measure. Once we got you over a certain hump we are now going to look at what else we can do to get you off the opioids onto something else to manage your pain but it just seems to be that it's too easy for a prescription to be written because don't forget this is not a street drug uh, yeah i know there are people selling them in the streets i don't know how they get them but the point is it's meant to be a medical doctor prescribed drug and but so the doctors need to kind of step up and say at a point no you've had too many we're looking at something else or we need to wean you off slowly on this and not just kind of keep writing the prescription typically a doctor will say you need to go see a pain management doctor mm -hmm. and wash their hands of it right but you won't hear about a doctor who takes the time and effort to go talk to somebody like me and there's a lot of us out there and say, what are the parameters of opioid abuse? Mm -hmm. When does it become a problem? How does it show itself? Go see a pain management specialist and they're done. Vice going in and learning about it themselves. Right. So many doctors who are really ignorant of it. Yeah. They used to tell me, you really shouldn't be taking this. Great. What should I be doing differently? 
right? Where's the alternative? Yes, where's the alternative? What other solutions are there? If you say you can't do one, well, what else is there? You know, I think the doctors, you know, this whole five or 10 minute, if you're lucky, you know, to see a patient. Uh, and now it's like you're only meant to tell them two problems. You're not allowed to kind of go into anything further. Well, how do you know that the three or four symptoms that you're suffering from at the present moment, which one is the one that's the priority that could be causing all the others? This is what the doctor's meant to, to you know, devise, not you. So you go in and, well, I, I've, I've, I've got these five problems, but I suppose it's these two that I have to address today. You know, you mentioned a big word there, time, time management. Doctors don't take time. They don't take time to know the patient, not just physically, but emotionally, and to know that emotionally you're off or that you're not engaged or there's something, you know, not right there. Maybe the drugs are too many. Maybe we need to cut back. It's in, out, in, out. And there is no connection between the patient anymore. But see, right now, we're, and, I, and I've said some things that were rather derogatory about doctors, oh, and, and I, I meant them. That's true. But these doctors today are forced into a... Right, the system. It's the insurance driven, yeah. right? This is what you're allowed to do as a doctor. Yeah. This is what you're allowed to say as a doctor. Oh, I have a close friend of mine who uh, works with stem cells, and his biggest fear is saying what you and I would ordinarily say in this conversation, saying it wrong because he'd be in violation of FDA laws. It's insane. It is insane. It's like lawyers have taken over so much things. It's it's off topic, but it's like you can't give wasteful food away in case the homeless will sue you. you know, and now we have all this wasteful food and people going hungry. You know, it's the laws are meant to be there to protect, and instead they're stifling, and they're just sometimes they're just inanely insane. Within the first three years of, of my injury, which was 1997, I couldn't tell you how many people, there would be strange cars parked in front of my house or down the street. Uh, they were looking for me to go out and, and do something with right. my back. Yes. Well, anybody who's got a back injury is going to try their limits. Yeah. That's what I'm supposed to do. Uh, can I bend over and pick this up? Can I push this? Can I push this wheelbarrow? Whatever. Oh, we caught you. You were pushing a wheelbarrow. There's nothing wrong with your back. We're going to take away your disability. Right. Go do cartwheels. <laughs> Get in the parking lot, right. Yeah, it's, it's gotten crazy. But yeah. the, only, the only area that we can really focus on is what are the effects of these things? You know, where, where are people getting off track with them? Because that's yeah. really what it amounts to. Yeah. Uh, and again, my, my problem is with the recreational user. Those who have a legitimate issue, fine, let's find out what the problem is. And maybe, like in my case, uh, they surgically implanted electrodes in my backbone. And I, I have a, a frequency generator that I can select which protocol to call mm. on to address the pain, it goes away. Now, th that's just my situation. And there are others like it. I understand cancer uh, patients have got it the worst. I understand cancer pain is horrendous and they're modifying the same device that I have to deal with cancer in various parts of the body. Yeah, we so, talked about it before with people with uh, Parkinson's, uh, not Parkinson's, MS. Um, there's this type of uh, devices that have been put in there to help people with MS and their results have been is that that from, you know, having to be um, either with a walker or, or, you know, the mobile thing that, that they're getting up and walking and in some cases dancing, you know, it's completely given back their life. So we are seeing such incredible innovations every day 
so many things. I'd love to see more of the medical money going into these type of alternative devices rather than going into just the drug pain management, which it doesn't really even manage the pain. So we have to, we have to as ourselves inquire, well, what else is there? Because it's not going to be presented to us, is it? We have to keep, be the researchers and start looking into what else is there. Because if we're waiting for someone else to tell us, we could wait a long time. Because it wasn't your doctor that told you about this, was it? Yes. Well, it was. So he finally yeah. found something. And it, it took a while for my doctor to, to present this to me because right. they didn't think of an alternative. And again, when they did, I laughed. Right. I didn't, that's, that's ridiculous. That's not going to. Anyway, it did work and it is working. But you're right. You have to go out and find it yourself. Yeah. The other thing, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, is the, uh, the restrictions and the insurance companies mm -hmm. and so forth. FDA, I know of a traction machine that stretches people in flexion. They weren't able to put it on the market because of the FDA hoops that, and the, the clinical trials. And the, I think it was $5 million was the estimate to get this thing on the market. I know. It's ridiculous. It and a lot of pain. It, it alleviated a lot of pain. It had an 86% success rate. And uh, it never made it to market. Well, so, you know, that part of that argument is, uh, uh, and I've, I've done enough on this because I used to be involved with it, is, is the pharmaceuticals protecting their own turf. If there absolutely. Is a, there's an instrument out there that takes away their business. And so they are, you know, backhanded with the, with the FDA. Uh, and I know this from other interviews and also from people I, I knew in the FDA of the FDA's push sometimes to push things forward before they should be or shouldn't be even out there in the first place. And other things are backburnered and shelved because of that reason. So we actually really have to not only look at the laws that have been ridiculously put in place and who are they really protecting, but we also have to look at why are these things that are solutions that did give quality back to people's lives? Why are they being blocked? Who's blocking them? And then maybe even go after our, um, our government officials and say, go after the FDA and unblock this. You know, people have well, the power. We have the power, we, but we've got to step up into it. There's another aspect of it. If you're Pfizer or somebody who represents Pfizer and they have a competing device, they're going to put you under. They have the resources to do it. So it'll never see the light of day. And, and that happened as well. I saw that yes. with the traction unit. Yes. Um, yes. But you're right. The goal here is to, is to get some answers instead of the restricted little area that we've been in. Uh, but it's also education. If people yes. understood what it did to me, I think they'd take a lesson and say, you know, I'm not going to let this happen to me. Uh, how do you get that word out? That's why I wrote the book, Cartwheels in the Parking Lot. Right. Uh, it explains everything from the, from the injury to the disability nonsense to the addiction to getting over the addiction. That was not easy. But even just to realizing you had an addiction, you know, addictors don't believe they have an addiction. They do eventually. Eventually, <laughs> eventually, when enough time has gone by, what you're wanting to do is you don't want people to wake, wake up at 20 years later. You want them to, what you're wanting to do with this message, from what I understand here with the book, with shows like this, is to let people know the opioids are there for the initial trauma or the pain, but you, as you said right at the top of the hour, you've got to look for an exit strategy. And that means finding something else that can help with the pain management. Or is there a cure? Is there something else you can do? And a lot of that is don't put it all in the hands of your doctor because their hands are tied. 
be willing to do some of your own research as well. Be willing to take some accountability before you get to the point where the opioids are numbing you to such a point you don't care anymore. Which is right away. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the first thing that happens. I would not have had the concentration, the physical yes. ability to get on a computer and research lower back pain to come up with answers for myself. So family can step in. Family, yeah, friends, this is, this is where it's part of your community. If you're seeing somebody in injury, you know, I mean, today we can Google anything, right? So the information is out there. And then it is looking at that information and doing some research and discerning on it. Is it all going to be right for you? No, but you don't know which one's going to be right for you or beneficial for you until you're willing to filter through and look at what the options are. So if you've got somebody that's had an injury and you know they're on the opioids, you know they're not going to be cognitively all there. So start doing the research and before they get too far gone, you know, that's when you've got to get them engaged into well, these other solution. Bring, if you can bring an alternative to an addict, you got my vote. Right, yes. <laughs> because typically and, an addict says, I feel better, so let's not rock this boat. Right, yeah. That's what I did. Yeah. So yes. uh, most addicts would do that. Right. And, and of course, you know, that's, that's the kind of... Uh, the devil's claw isn't it you know one part it's helping you and you don't want to rock the boat because you don't want to feel the pain the other part the devil's claw has got hold of you and stopping you from looking at anything else and so oh. you know and that's a significant issue the other thing is that addicts typically are pretty distasteful people they don't want to interact with you and they yeah. certainly don't want to interact with you in terms of let's take away your drugs right no that i don't want to hear that and when i was an addict i, I don't want to hear that Right. Uh, if you haven't, if you have a pathway, yep. you're taking drugs right now, it's costing you your marriage or it's costing your, your relationship with your children. Uh, here's a pathway that takes three months or six months or two months. And you can be back where you were. Would you like to explore it? That they might listen to, but we're going to take away your drugs. Right. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, again, things aren't black and white, you know, you're, when you're in a trauma or an injury like this, you're in a gray area. And so, you know, things have to be presented in a way that are very clear and concise in the picture. But it also, it's got to be reachable. Don't start giving them the pie in the skies. Give them something that they can take the first step towards. Right? And that, you said the key word, and that is gray area. Addicts seek a gray area. Mm -hmm. We don't like black and white. We want a gray area. It doesn't hurt in the gray area. Mm -hmm. And if I'm black or white, in terms of I'm on or off drugs, uh, now I have a, a number of choices to make. And how to get there is really terrifying. It was for me. Right. So in my case, it was the number of opportunities that I had missed. In my case, it was the lack of spiritual groundedness that I, I, didn't, I no longer had. Uh, it was the priorities that had disappeared. And, and I, how do I get them back? Well, I'll never get them back. The best I can do is, is overcome the effects that those drugs had. But those, those years are gone. Oh, no. And that's, yeah. There's no time machine. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a difficult task. And as I say, addicts don't typically want to talk to you. No. Addicts are going to say, I, I don't want to discuss this. I've got oh. a prescription here for opium. A little wobbly. And I don't want to talk about it with you. Right. And that's, that's what happened with me. Yeah. And, and again, it relates to the hitting bottom 
and it may be plural bottoms. You may, may have to hit more than one before you realize this is it. Uh, the, the thing is also when something is a prescription, it feels justifiable. Look, my daughter gave it to me. I'm not an addict. Oh, yeah, and I stayed under the legal limit on my prescription. Right. I was prescribed more than I took. Right. When, I, when, I, when I got clean and sober, I flushed more than 100 of those things down the wow. toilet. There's an audio addict out there right now going, no. <laughs> I don't blame him. <laughs> but nevertheless, that's what happened. I didn't want the temptation to go no. back to it. No. I kept 14 of them. That's two weeks worth. If this device ever goes out in my back, it may take me two weeks to find a new doctor. Right. That's why I kept them. But the rest so of So did them, you go off it before you had the device in or you, once you had the device in, you went off it? Had the device put in in September 15th of last year. Mm -hmm. And uh, it took me until October the 8th to get off of the drugs. And even at that point, my hands shook. Uh, friends that are in the medical field told me that I was very close to a seizure. Mm -hmm. So I, I went off of it too fast. Right. And when I, when I, when I finally did get off of it. So long, yeah. I've been on 20 years. Right. But when I did get off of it, uh, the withdrawal, you don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. That was awful. It felt like every joint in my body was just trying to come apart. I was sweating and cold all at one time. And this went on for hours until somebody suggested I took something that would help me sleep. And I did. Mm -hmm. uh, and it never came back. So I got very fortunate. I was told it would come back the following day. And I thought, I'm not going to live through this. Right. That's why people really ought to consider rehab, just because they're around, you know, people who are trained to deal with it. I was not. Right, exactly. And, but, you know, that's the thing with anything. A lot of people that have been smoking for a long time go suddenly cold turkey, and they get all of these reactions and everything else. And it, it, everybody in the, in the medical field or in the uh, natural field will say to you, slow withdrawal. And with something else replacing, you know, the form of nutrients, there's something that boosts your immune system, you know, something that helps your body go through it. But, you know, the cold turkey, oh, you know, I just cut it off all the thing. But your body is, is going into shock. And so, yeah, yeah it has to be I'm, done professionally, slowly, and with somebody monitoring you. I'm glad you brought that up. I've talked to people who work in rehabs. And I was not a big advocate of it. It was offered to me, Dave, do you want to take a placebo that will mirror the effects of the drugs? And then, you know, I said, I'm not taking one drug to replace another, period. I'm stubborn and hard-headed and I'm not going to do it. Oh, but I understand that now these drugs have come around and yeah. they're actually doing some real good things with them. Yes. So I would advise anybody that wants to get off opioids, that's a good therapy to, to follow. Now, I don't, right. I don't want to speak for it in any other way, but I've heard good things about it. Right. I don't know if you have that's your experience as well. Um, well, actually, uh, what, uh, not the drugs, but what I had is uh, one young girl who's a, um, a social addict, like she it was either drinking or pills or both, but still worked through everything, right? Uh, and it took her ending up on the street, almost getting to the point of selling her body, and that was the last straw for her. And she went yet again, you know, to detox. But normally from detox all she was thinking about was the next fix and she would come out and immediately go into it this time her mum picked her up and she said we're not stopping anywhere you're taking me straight to rehab and she was ready to then go after detoxing to go through rehab to go through the whole program to get herself clean and to, to come out to have the skills to have the tools to have the backing to help her go through it. Um, but she had to get to that point because she'd done detoxing before 
and then it just straight back out. Oh, I need my fix. This time it was oh, like, what? don't let me have a window. Don't let me have a window. Get me straight there. I want to heal. Do you recall what her version of hitting bottom was? You said that she it was destitute. Yes, she was uh, yeah, she was out on the street and, and it was needing another fix and then almost selling her body for it and then saying, no, I'm not going to do that. So for her, that was hidden bottom. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if she ever pushed a shopping cart full of possessions down, down the road somewhere. Um, I don't think she got that far um, because she, she was working. She was, you know, had a, a job. She was very public and, uh, you know, people knew that she maybe drank a little bit, but it was all, you know, okay. I mean, you, do you know how many people are out there in business that are either snorting cocaine or doing, the, doing something and they're functional, they're running companies. <laughs> so, you know, people knew that she was a little excess, but then so were they. So nobody really saw the problem until her world started falling apart. You know that today it's been a year clean. <laughs> I still can't put things in my left pocket. Oh, really? Because that's where I used to carry my pills. <sighs> Right. Is and it because it's reserved or it's a memory? I think it's because it's reserved. Mm. You know, I'll, put, I'll put other things in other pockets, but I can't right. put anything meaningful yeah. in my left pocket because that's where I used to keep the bills. Can I make a and suggestion? Okay. Write something to yourself as a promise. A promise that you're going to do for you in honoring you. Write it. Put that in the pocket instead. Huh. Something positive. Something positive. Well, I kind of looked at it as a reminder of why I got away from it. So right. I'm okay with, the, with the memory and I'm okay with not putting things in that pocket for that reason. Mm -hmm. That's good. It's something. We have to look to something to replace, right? You know, that's the thing is, is that wherever you've been, you know, it didn't serve you for whatever reason. So this is where the big word choice comes into it. You know, we have a choice. And so sometimes not making a choice is a choice. And we have to make those choices that we know are going to serve us. You know, you knew you didn't want to be on these opioids, but nobody was giving you, you know, any other alternative. And when an alternative was presented, it was too far-fetched. And, but, you know, along comes the divine intervention. And then right. you meet this person in the garden. Oh, you've got a back problem? Look at me. And there you go. As you said, you didn't even say thank you or anything to him. You were in there booking it. And that's sometimes, you know, like with Ryan, the guy in the cell just saying the right thing to him at the right time. You know, that's where that synchronicity of the wonderful divine energy comes in with the right message at the right time. Now you may have had that message several times and you weren't ready to hear it. It was just at that moment, you were receptive. Somebody had it. Bingo. Well, you know, the other thing is after 20 years, I'm not a statistic. Mm -hmm. they, they, CNN claims that between 40 and 60,000 people die per year from opioids. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. Yes, it is there, true, there is an epidemic of, of deaths with it, yes. Could well be. But it doesn't count the number of people who were kicked out of school, yes. went through a divorce, yep. perhaps even a car wreck. Right. I was very fortunate. I, I limited you know, my, my exposure with a vehicle to when I had to be on the road. I would, right. I would make exceptions and I'd go do what I had to do. But I was half lunatics. Mm. And I just, you know, practice makes perfect, I guess. I had 20 years of doing it. so, <laughs> yes. And I didn't get into trouble. Right. So if I had gotten into trouble, it wouldn't make any difference. It was the other guy's fault. If they took blood from me and found out that I was on opioids, I'd have been charged. And uh, who knows where I'd be today. I may be pushing the shopping cart. Right. Yeah. So it, it, didn't, it didn't happen for me. 
And that's divine intervention. That has nothing to yeah. do with me. Yes. Uh, but nonetheless, it didn't happen. Right. And uh, You were and, meant to go through this, even though it took 20 years. You know, I mean, the other thing is, how long has that device been around? You know, but, you know again, it's sometimes you have to wait for the synchronicity of what the solution is to what the problem is, right? You know, maybe it wasn't there 20 years ago. No, it wasn't. In fact, it came into being in the... Uh, uh, 2005 as I understand it and it, and it got perfected and it said that it felt like champagne bubbles in your back all the time yeah, bubble, 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 bubble. Yeah. yeah do you want that in your back really I, I don't think I do so I didn't I didn't take it then but I didn't believe in it either so right. 2017 yeah. my surgeon said I got an idea let's check this out and uh, it worked it worked I got yeah. off the operating table and knew it was working there's a lot of these type of things because it's an ele electrical current that is, is feeding because, you know, we're all energy. Energy has to run through our body all the time. And so kind of this electrical current is, makes those connections where those connections aren't. Um, you know, even people with the fibromyalgia, you know, you're dealing with uh, like perpetual buzz going through your body. Like you can feel a low current going through your body all the time. And, and you know, I even heard them talking about this device for that, to be able to control the volume of the currency going through your body. So there's so many answers out there today. And it's just a question of before we get too far gone with the comfortability of just the numbing of the pain, as I said, we've really got to be proactive. Um, and if it's not us, the people around us, to help us find that solution that can be, there's always an answer, always an answer. And well, it's just the question we're looking for. Exposing it. Yes. Exposing it is really a, a, a key issue. Uh, I can get, 10 years into it, I could say, you know, I'm just under the influence. I'm not really addicted. I could stop anytime I wanted. Right. Uh, yes. Uh, and believe it. Yeah. You know, I would have believed it, but it, it wasn't true. And uh, I believe the lie. Yeah. And I, would I intentionally lie to myself? No, but I, I believed that lie. Right. So, well, it was it, part of your survival because it was a justification. We could justify no, anything, right? <laughs> it was um, no alternative. You're right. Yeah. Right. So, and that's the thing is, with alternative, you know, we've we've got to. We've actually also got to understand there's med many many other ways of healing too that sometimes are not medical. And so, you know, we have to step outside of, of different things and, oh, it's woo-woo, it's this, it's that, you know, but what a lot of science is discovering today that a lot of these other uh, practices that are going on are very, very valid and very measurable. They just don't fall under the pharmaceutical or the medical realm uh, because they're a, they're a different type of practice. If we really want to get well, you know, we have to be willing to accept that there is something out there and be looking for it. Um, you want people who are on the opioids that are facing the pain to heed your warning. Go and find the alternative. Go and do something now before it very quietly and very, you know, very subtly starts eating away at your life because it will start taking everything away from you because you've taken yourself away from life. It takes, but it doesn't give back. No. The only thing that I had, that, and this was tangible and it was real, the only thing that I had was the ability to get through the day. Mm. It doesn't mean get through it with intelligence. It doesn't mean comfortably. It doesn't mean anything else. But getting from the morning to night, okay, great. It did give me that. And for that, I'm grateful. But it took away everything else. Well, everything that you were living for. Everything that meant something in your life. 
You know, it so took all of that away. One of the big things that I lost or that I noticed, and one of the reasons I wanted to get away from the drugs, I didn't look forward to things. Right. Yeah. And I would have projects or I'd have uh, meetings or whatever. I did not look forward to them. No. And something's wrong. Something was very out of balance. And that was one of the hidden bottom. For me, it took a lot of them. I was very right. stubborn and hard-headed, and, you know. But as you said, I lived through it. And in my mind, I'm a walking miracle. I can stand up and talk to you. I right. couldn't do that for 20 years. Right. I got rid of the drugs, and I didn't die for 20 years. Right. So that's a miracle. Yeah. This is all God doing for me what I could not do for myself. Yeah. I've not had one craving for the pain pills since I got off of them. It's been a year. That's a miracle in itself. All three of them are. Yeah. The fact that I can stand here and talk to you. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And I had nothing to do with it. I'm not taking credit for it. I had nothing to do with it. Well, you yes, you did because you made the choice. You know, you paid attention to the solution the first time round, not when it took somebody else had also made that choice to convince you, you made the choice. You know, we had the divine help along the way. But that divine help can only show you the way. It's your choice to walk it. Well, if desperation is a participation, then I, that's the only participation I had. Which, put, which gave you your choice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was. It was desperation on my part. So it happened. It's over. And I, I hope people buy the book because there's a message in it that they need to yeah. understand. Yeah, they probably have people in their lives, if their lives aren't touched today by this drug epidemic it will be at some point i have it in my outer family on several occasions so it will be uh, I, i've been through it and i don't mind talking to those people but well the fact that they're putting this opioid warning everywhere you know it, it's, it's showing there is a problem and it's not just recreational it's all users uh, and what an addictive drug it is you know I, I interviewed one young man who was on it for pain and then became addicted of it and then started selling it and at one point a gun under his bed and he goes what the hell am i doing what the hell am i doing you know it took him down a spiral path he never would have chosen for himself and it was one thing leading to another so the, you know the thing is at some point the brakes go on you stop and you look and go i've got to make a choice which way am i going to go and having a book like yours, showing people what you've been through. The big operative word here, through. It may have taken you a little while to get there, but you have gone through it. You are living and thriving in a much better productive life today without the opioids, with a solution that helped you that maybe somebody else is reading out and go, that helped you with your back? How would it help me? Can, can it help me in what I'm doing? You don't know until you investigate, but now you know, look, where he was, look where he is now. He decided to go through it. And he decided to throw away the opioids. He decided then to share his story because he's not selfish because he wants to help you along the way. And if you know somebody on opioids and you go, don't just sit back and think, oh, they're out of pain, but you notice them drifting further and further away from life. This is the time to kind of intervene and help them find something else because otherwise they're just going to be, if they make it, you know, just live living block a statistic <laughs> yeah i don't know go into a local 7-eleven you'll find a lot of them yes <laughs> a lot of people on opioids yes uh, it's it lies and it takes away and doesn't give back no. and and that's what i i'm not a goody two-shoes uh you know I, I spent a little time i think your friend who can put a gun under his bed is very fortunate had he got caught selling that stuff 
he wouldn't be able to put a gun under his bed because they don't right. allow him in the jail. Right. So, and he did, he'd have done a lot of time if he'd gotten caught selling them. So that's another ripple effect. Right. But I, I never got into that. I know people who did, but uh, it doesn't it doesn't lead anywhere. Again, what I said with the vehicle, I had to give up my ability yeah. to to transport myself around. Am I too buzzed up, or can I drive today? Mm -hmm. You don't know until you park the car and right. find out whether you hit something. Yeah, yeah. This went on for twenty years. Yeah. Well, as I, I said, you know, you, you became a prisoner to the opioids. Well, I didn't like it. Right. And I didn't like it enough that I would rather try life without it. Right. You're away. Yeah. And that's what I did. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, people doing things that they never thought they would do ever in a month of Sundays and finding themselves on this spiral of effect. And that's the thing what we have to look at, whether opioids or any form of drug, it takes over you. You have abstained from any control over you or choices over you. And until you manage to push through and say, I'm going to take back my life, I ain't going to make a choice that takes me away from this where something else has made a decision for me you you're you're always going to be that victim to it aren't you i don't think there's a doctor that i know of who would play the conversation that you and i just had in their office before they prescribed things mm. so these people who are taking them are got a prescription and they're going to get another prescription yeah hey man i got away with it i pulled yeah. it off the doctor gave it to me and I know a guy was one, uh, but they're not going to take the time and energy to review what you and I have just discussed. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where the, the real emptiness is. Yes. And I don't know how to fix that. That's why I put the book out there. Right. That's why we're doing this show. You know, so, it's whether it's somebody who's still early enough or at that moment of clarity and want to receive, maybe the show or maybe your book is one of those little epiphanies for somebody that right yeah, they, time with the right information. All we can do is put it out there and hope that those connections come to come together. You're absolutely right. But here's my question to the recreational user and those who may have a choice, whether they're using pain pills or not, which pain pill are you going to take that puts you over the line? And now it's addiction. Mm. Which one? Cause I don't, I didn't know. And I doubt seriously that you know, or not you. you know. Yeah. I doubt seriously that the user knows, but there's going to be a magic pain pill. And up to then, you're under the influence. Now you're under addiction. Yes. Which one is it? And no doctor will ask that. It's, Here, do you need another prescription? Here it is. So we, we got an uphill battle here, huh? It is an uphill battle. And, it, you know, it's, it's something we can't turn our heads away from. Just because we're not on opioids right now doesn't mean, you know, we paint everybody with the same brush because we have no understanding of why somebody is on the opioids for what reason. But what we do have to understand, it's a drug that gets its claws into you and consumes your life. So whether we know somebody on it or whether we have an accident and we're given the opioids, <coughs> we have to say right there and then, this is a temporary measure. Everybody around me, it's a temporary measure. Let us work together to make sure we get through to looking at a solution because otherwise you're giving your life up to it. And this is why I'm so glad that you put your show together. I just can't thank you enough. You're exposing the problem. You're, you're publicizing it in a way that's not condescending or anything no. like that. But we're not here there. to persecute. They're doing that to themselves. Right. We're here to free them. <laughs> They're losing. Yes. And that's, that's what I did for a long time. So, and I look back at it and I can clearly see it today, but I couldn't see it while no. I was under the influence. Wait, so. if, you are, if you're numbed, how can you be clear on anything? 
you know, it's when you, you know, you, I can see clearly now and the sky is, funny, you know, we have to see our sunshine, you know, through the haze. And, and it's, there's always a window somewhere. And it's when that window is open, you know, that's when it's been open receptive to what's around you that can pull you out. And again, I know this, you cannot help anybody until they're willing to help themselves. But maybe at the right time, that book is there. Even if you buy a book for an opioid user, put it down on their table. Don't try and push it down their throat. Leave it there. Read it. When read the time is ready, they, yeah, read it yourself so you know how to help them. But leave the book there because at one point, at some point, it's going to be, I'm tired of this, and that book is right there ready for them. You can't push them. You can't force them. But what you can do is a love them and show them that you care and that there is an answer and that by reading the book, you understand what they're going through and that you're there when they're ready. A little nudge, nudge, wink, wink, but not a push because you're going to push them in the other direction, aren't you? Absolutely. Uh, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk to you. <laughs> but if you understand what they're going through, in addition to that, a user will do the very best they can to convey whatever it is they're trying to tell you. Yeah. And you're hearing maybe 10% of what they're trying to say because they can't get it out any better than right. that. Oh, they don't understand what they're feeling. How can they articulate it? You know, if you're feeling blah, how do you articulate what you're feeling? And then when they listen to, to the person they're talking to, they hear less than 10% of what they're saying. So it, it does some good for, for people who are around users to mm -hmm. kind of get a feel for what's going on there. They, you can get real resentful of somebody who's giving you less than their best. Right. And, 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 and not to go at anybody with a blame game or a judgment. Because you're never going to help any addict, whether it, whether it is recreational or whether it's somebody that's on painkillers. Any form of judgment or blame, blame game is a counteractive. It's not going to resolve anything or open any doors at all. There's nothing wrong with questions. Nope. Did, nope. did, did you do what you were supposed to do? Did you get what you wanted out of this last situation? Because if you didn't, could the pills be involved? Right. That's a good question. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But not a judgment. Right. You're not putting them down. You're not, right. you know, and for anything, for heaven's sake, don't, don't threaten to take away their pills. Right. Now you're the enemy. Yes. <laughs> and also not only that, it's dangerous. They need to come off them slowly. They need to come off them with supervision. If you take you them walk. away from somebody that's been on them for a while, God knows what they're going to go through. And that's, that's, you're legitimately right with that. It's, they got to want something else more than they want the pills. Yeah. And that doesn't happen because somebody pushes them. No, no. So, yeah. Something's got to be there where, they, you know, that final draw. As I said, for the, all the shows that I've done, all the people I've spoken to in my life, it's when they hit their bottom. And then suddenly they see that opportunity or something in front of them and they go, that's worth fighting for. Or I'm coming out of this because I want to do that. And... You know, and all you can do is just put things in the way, be supportive. As you say, keep questioning, keep loving. And then at some point, they'll hit that bottom and, and that's it. I don't want to. I'm amazed at the, at the grasp that you have of it. I lived it, but I'm amazed at how well you understand it. Obviously, you've seen this movie and you, you've done your homework. So I'm really appreciative for what you uh, do. I'm an observer. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> I'm a counselor. A so, yes. And, you know, I understand that emotional pain is just as crippling as physical pain and it's very hard to shake and it's very hard to reason with and so it's you know people coming along and just do this and just do that they're the worst people for you to listen to because they're not in your shoes 
they don't understand and you know and it's um it's like telling somebody who's in a deep depression snap out of it <laughs> do you think they made a choice to go into it <laughs> depression is is unreasonable there is no logic to it it is an emotion that is consuming right and so you, know, you can't rationalize it so you have to be willing to go through it and find out what it is that helps take you out of it which means you've got to do your own due diligence on your depression and what gets you in what gets you out so stands to reason mm -hmm. uh, with a with an addict sometimes emotional pain and physical pain are indistinguishable yes exactly yes it, uh, but one thing we do know it's all crippling and you know we I'm for me from my thing of my life is that if I don't have a purpose I don't see my purpose of living you know that's just always been my thing I've got to be here for a reason and I've got to be here doing something for other people because that's the reason I'm here I think a lot of people who are recreational they're numbing something because they're not connected to something they haven't found that purpose yet that reason for being and if they chose instead to look for that in their self-discovery of what they're here for and how they could be contributors in the world. They'd realize that in some form of service, they would receive so much more back that they wouldn't need the crutch. But again, it comes to them. Are you willing to go through life, participate, interact, uh, be a part of life? Or you sit back waiting for life to be given to you? Because if you are, you're always going to be waiting. I don't think you could make it any better, any clearer than that. I think you said it well. Thank you. Well, thank you. So how do people get the book? How do they find you? And are you available for speaking gigs and et cetera? All of the above. Uh, I'm working with some uh, Celebrate Recovery groups right now here in, in my hometown area. Uh, the book is available on Amazon, Cartwheels in the Parking Lot. Uh, yeah, we're trying to get the word out just like you are. It's, it, this has got to stop. Our, yes. our quality of society, our quality of life. Yeah. Can't keep taking it away. Sooner or later, we've got to pay the bill. And, uh, and that's a big point. You know, we're, we're racking up this expense at our own expense, our own life's expense. And the only person that's going to pay this bill is us. <laughs> right? So it's time to kind of pay our bill and get on with life instead of racking up this huge big credit that we're never going to be able to pay back. So. Addicts, not like me, addicts think, they're getting away with something. You know, I'm not all there to have this conversation with you while I was under the influence. Oh, and we're getting away with something. And yeah. they don't they don't realize that no, you're not getting away with anything. You're you may have buffaloed somebody and they don't know that you're buzzed up. But what have you got then? You still aren't taking advantage of the situation. Right. You still aren't all there. You're still not getting the good out of it that you just described. So I'm paying a high price, a very high price. And only when you come out of it, are you going to see the cost of that? Right? Pretty so, high price for me. Yeah. So, 20 years. 20 years sentence. But you're here now with a meaningful purpose, with an understanding. Only you can really talk to the opioid users as, as an X one because only you truly understand how crippling it is and what it does and all the, the, the little loop uh, that graphs there but you also know the loopholes on how to get out of them. So, you know, I would say the best, 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 best people to help you through something is somebody that's already gone through it. Well, if any of your listeners or viewers uh, want to interact with me, my website is cartwheelsback.com and feel free to leave a message there. I answer all the email that comes through that site. So 
uh, I would love to get the message out. If you, maybe you're a parent with a child that's, uh, mm -hmm. that you suspect, uh, it's endless. A spouse who's struggling with this, it, it, it goes on. It's, it's, there's no one size fits all because no, it's no, just, there's no one particular demographic. It's, it's across the board. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So that's uh, cartwheels in a parking lot.com. Cartwheelsback.com. Cartwheelsback.com. Right. And the cartwheels in the parking lot is the book. Cartwheels in the parking lot is the book. Right. So cartwheelsback.com and uh, cartwheels in the parking lot is the book. This is a great book to give yeah. people just as a subtle gift. You know, somebody may be going through something. You know what? I think it's a damn good book for even a family to read together and have an open forum conversation about it before someone gets addicted. Because you well, guarantee no. your teenagers know somebody that's doing it. So this isn't a, a dictation or a warning, kids. This is a, an, an education of understanding why there is such an epidemic. And if we read this and we you know, really understand where it is, we can make the choice to avoid this path and maybe be able to understand somebody else going through it and what we can do for them. I understand it's becoming a juvenile problem as well. Yes. Kids are getting prescribed opioids. Yeah. Uh, kids, maybe they've been prescribed, maybe they go to school and the guy in the locker next to them, he's doing them. Right. What do you do different? Well, first thing you do is hide your wallet. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yes, and, and it's recognizing the signs. And again, it's not the damnation, it's the caring. But I think, you know, we've got to stop trying to just do this as, you know, one crusader and, and invite that this, this is a societal problem. It's a community problem. It's a family problem. And it's not about judging someone you're a drug addict, don't want anything to do with you. It's why are you a drug addict? What are you trying to avoid? How do we how did you get into this? How do we get you out of this? And I think if the community starts giving a damn and caring and stepping up and saying, we can turn this around, but it requires us to do it together. You know how many doctors and lawyers and people <coughs> that they are participating with pain pills? Mm -hmm. They're coming up with statistics that are just, uh, they're crazy. I know. And you think these people are, are educated and well enough off that they're not going to participate. And they are sad. I know. It's, it's again, we're going to have to pay the price. For this. Yes, we are. And the, the sad thing is, is that we're looking for things to numb our lives instead of dealing with our lives. We need more dealing skills. And you'll find them here at selfdiscoverytv.com, selfdiscoveryradiotv.com, because the, I interview people like you who have survived them, who have survived their, their, their struggles, their redirect. And you've gone through it and you're here now to help other people through the journey. And that's the point. No matter what you've been through, I've pretty well got somebody here that's been through that same thing. And this is the reason why they share the story. It's because they don't want you to go through it or they want to be able to help you get through it. That's what it's about. If you're not willing to hear the wisdom, you're, you're just going to keep going around in circles. Be willing to hear the stories of others because they will help you make better decisions. In my world, it was pain pills and addiction. Yeah, I've met other people who have gone through illnesses, uh, domestic problems, and I can learn a tremendous, as my case is, is pain pills, but as I talk to these other people and I see how they've survived, just as you just described, it's amazing. Yes. It really is. And it's yes. all, it's pervasive. It's all around us. Yes, it is. So, and it's, you know, it's ordinary people who have become extraordinary because they chose to go through the path 
and, and serve humanity with their knowledge. And the thing is, we've got to understand we're not alone in this. There are so many other people going through what you're going through. So why not learn from people who've gone through it, have got the tools and the wisdoms to help? And why not even understand there's other people going through it and understand your why? Why are you going through it in the first place? Whether it is you have an injury and you're on the opioids, why are you still on them? Why is, has an alternative not been found? Or why are you recreationally taking it? Or why are you trying to numb yourself? We cannot escape ourselves. I don't care how far you run. You're always going to catch up with yourself. So you may as well jump inside, learn to love yourself, learn to care for yourself, learn to find your meaningful purpose in life. And in that love, you will attract other vibrational love and really understand what life is all about. And it's pretty goddamn awesome if you're willing to participate, but it's not ready there to hand it to you. It's something you have to earn in your life. Living with all its bumps and bruises beats the hell out of going through life. No, I've been there. It sucks. Yes, a hundred percent. I'm with you. The pain reminds us we're alive, right? You know, and sometimes, you know, I, I have the fibromyalgia and sometimes my pain is kind of really screaming at me. Okay. I have to listen to you. I have to take something. I have to take the rest. Most time we have this partnership that we're in agreement with each other. I know the triggers. I know not to push. And I know that it's always going to be vibrating on that level and it's learning to live with it because the choices I had was the drugs, which I didn't want to go through. Um, or, you know, just giving into it. And I wasn't going to do that. Uh, so you, you learn to find your balance. We've you've all got something to carry, right? Yeah, we've all got something to carry in life, right? Well, you're, you've made a third alternative, and that is you've turned your disability into a ministry. And I'm really impressed with what you do. So <laughs> Thank you. I can't say enough about it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks so much for sharing. So cartwheelsback.com cartwheels in the parking lot get it from amazon barnes and nobles and everywhere else please share this book please have a conversation about the book please before you point a finger and cast your damnation on someone understand what they're going through what can you do to help them and understand folks this is a societal problem which means that we as a society need to step up and help heal we are not in this alone we're all part of the problem and the solution and we need to step up. So thank you so much, Dave, for so not hiding so yourself and for stepping up. <laughs> thank you. I enjoyed your show and I enjoyed being here. Thank you. Uh, thank Have you very night. much. Until next time, folks, remember, it's all up to you. Bye for now. For more wonderful shows like this, please go to selfdiscoveryradio.com, podcasts and see our lineup. And if you wish to support us, we have a funded button. Please stay tuned for our next show.